Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. July 1st has come and gone. I will say that it was busier than expected. I will say there were some surprises. And I will say, as a Devils fan who once saw our franchise player leave, despite a lot of money being on the table, despite a lot of loyalty being on the table, because he simply wanted to go home, I sympathize with our friends, the Islander fans, this morning. I do indeed, and I, I know that we got a bunch of rants from them, so thanks to producer Gabe for compiling them, but I just got to go back to something that my wise, sage friend, you, always says. Mm-hmm. Players like to stay where their stuff is. Yes, and I will amend that comment officially here on the podcast that what may trump where your stuff is, because John Tavares' stuff was definitely on Long Island, mm. is that you it's might so have other stuff... Mm. In your childhood bedroom, hmm. like your Leafs pajamas and your leafy sheets and your Star Wars toy, which we'll talk about later. And so the thing that trumps, like it's rock, paper, scissors, right? The thing that trumps everything else, the dynamite, if you will, of this rock, paper, scissors game, because nothing beats dynamite, right, Gabe? Well, I think scissors does. You could clip the fuse. Um, <laughs> is the fact that your stuff is back home in Toronto and, and no matter what anybody wanted to do, no matter what pitches were given this guy... It was going to be a zero-sum game. It was going to be Toronto, or it was going to be the Islanders. And at the end of the day, it's he wanted to go home, mainly because the franchise is in much better shape than the Islanders, and they actually have you know one arena they play in and a collection of young players that are going to be there for several years, and obviously are pointed towards the Stanley Cup, while the Islanders are pointed toward Bruin. But also his stuff's in Toronto. So you're pretty much saying the Sharkies have no chance, despite all the cap space they clear and all the flash and, no. and great things they do until they... He, get some youth hockey players in San Jose to become right. prodigies. <laughs> that's right. Right now, the only thing I can think of is that the Arizona Coyotes simply just have to survive until Austin Matthews can go home. <laughs> They'll be fine. They've we, always got Austin. Yeah, exactly. We'll talk more about that with uh, CJ Chris Johnston from the uh, from Sportsnet about the Austin Matthews John Tavares dynamic. But we also have to run down all of the signings and trades that occurred. In the last 48 hours, in a very, very busy free agent frenzy, you're listening to ESPN on Ice, and let's start the show. From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey everybody, it's ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. Not to be confused with In the Crease... The TV show where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, a national NHL reporter. Mm-hmm. That's right. International at times. Yeah, I think this is the last show of the season, and this is the title I'd like to settle on going into the summer. We are here in Bristol, where yesterday we consumed a lot of Panera, not to be confused with Panarin. And we sat in a conference room, and we broke down many signings. We gave We assigned many grades. We talked about winners and losers. We did a video featuring a plant. It was a very productive day here in Bristol. I was pretty happy with the staging of that plant. I, I really fiddled around with it. I kind of wanted to go for a Between Two Ferns vibe, but I didn't really want to rip that off right. because obviously we had a serious tone because there was a lot of signings that happened, my friend. There were, and we tried to also incorporate a whiteboard at one point to kind of try to do like an around the horn thing, but mm. that didn't work. Because the problem is, is there's too many windows in, in the ESPN mothership. So it was a glare, a glare problem. And you're saying to yourself, hey, you're at a giant TV station. Why don't you use one of the studios? Guys, 
LeBron sign yesterday. Like, what studio is going to be possibly available for the two hockey people? <laughs> no comment. But it was a really fun day in our world, so we'd love to talk about it. And Greg, uh, we're going to talk about Tavares with our friend Chris Johnson. So let's. Should we start well, with that? Should we pause on that? Just just a quick thing on that. Seven years, $11 million. There there was some talk about whether or not he left money on the table. The answer is, of course he did. Yeah. The Islanders were offering a lot more. The Sharks... Alleged- and an extra year. Yeah. The Sharks allegedly were going as high as $13 million against the cap to bring in Tavares to the to San Jose. Um, so I, uh, the speculation has always been, like, what lessons had he learned from his friend Steven Stamkos when Stamkos went through this very similar situation with the Lightning a few years ago. And the answer is you take a deal that's going to allow you to get paid, but also to allow your team to still have some room to maneuver. And granted, the cap is going up exponentially each season, but this is a Toronto team that has to worry about three young star players, probably some money to invest on the blue line. And he didn't want to take up any more than eleven million dollars. It's it's he did leave money on the table, especially percentage of the cap wise, to go home to the the Leafs. Uh, not, I mean, I can't in good faith call it a hometown discount, but he definitely left money on the table. Yeah, well, they did some creative cap structuring, uh, which I think appeased him in the sense that if there is a lockout, <laughs> hint, hint, wink, wink, uh, he still gets paid, which, look, that's not leaving money on the table. But I, I do think the important thing here is the fact that he's going to a team that he knows is built to win, not just now potentially, but in the future, but that will mean paying guys like Austin Matthews, who's still in his rookie contract, and he's going to get paid, and I don't think Austin's looking for a discount. So uh, you're looking at a 1A, 1B situation with centers. I personally think they compete with the Pittsburgh Penguins now for the best center depth in the league. Mm-hmm. Nazem Kadri is a third center, and you he's love, probably number two. You and love, you know you I love, love the Penguins. You love depth. Derek Broussard more than anybody else that I know as far well, as him being the third the third. Wheeler. I definitely love him then more than our friend Phil Kessel does. <laughs> I don't think he enjoys playing with him too much. But I will say I, I do. I, I mean, I just think the star power of Malkin and Crosby maybe yeah. – um, Carries the bottom half of the look. Matt Cullen, fourth line center. There you go. At 42 years old in uh, January. Dad comes home again. Um, so <laughs> Until he goes back to Minnesota again. Right. Where his other stuff is, and yeah. then he comes back. He's going to be a 75-year-old man that's played for the Wild and the Penguins year after year after year. After year. <laughs> you mentioned the, the structure of Tavares' contract. I know we're going to talk about winners and losers later, but one loser for the day was obviously Gary Bettman. Like yes. Jeff Finnick with the Tampa Bay Lightning, good soldier, Bettman guy. Bettman basically led him to own the team. And if you don't know, Bettman told the Board of Governors, like, stop giving out all these bonuses around the lockout. People are going to think there's a work stoppage coming. And Jeff Finnick's like, I agree, Gary. I won't give Ryan McDonough a cent of bonus money. And then the Leafs are like, what up? John Tavares' <laughs> contract is over $70 million in bonus money, including $11 million during the lockout season. Hi. Yeah, exactly. So Bettman, definitely a loser uh, uh, yesterday on July 1st. Um, let's talk about some of the signings. We'll go around the league here. Um, we should first talk about the ones that uh, the ones that are staying, the big names. Uh, Drew Doughty re-ups with the L.A. Kings, $88 million, $11 million cap hit, eight-year contract beginning uh, next season, not this coming season, but the one after that, uh, to avoid free agency. As as we talk about with C.J. later, like the idea that, that he signs, Oliver Ekman Larson signs, Ryan McDonough signs, get these guys away from the courtship of free agency. Don't allow the seeds of doubt to be planted under their heads. Get them under contract now. And yeah. that's what they did. Yeah. I mean, RIP to our big, flashy, razzle-dazzle 2019 free agency that we were all circling on our calendars uh, a couple months ago because, uh, look, this is just not what hockey players do. They right. don't like 
to create waves. They don't want to either do a 75-minute show announcing their decision. They don't want to do a 12-paragraph <laughs> essay. They'd probably be most comfortable with the, what was it, like couple sentence uh, press release from their agency yeah. without any punctuation, which is really discerning. And, and then in John Tavares's, uh notepad uh, note to Islanders fans that he tweeted, before his, before the picture of him in his childhood bed with leaf stuff. On. Okay, can we talk about that for a second? Because I was joking in the morning. I know what the delay is. Like he's clearly right. flown in a Players Tribune editor, and they're holed up behind his t- typewriter. And we know we were talking so much about how meticulous John Tavares is, and like he's probably like just slaving over this uh, Players Tribune essay of yeah. "I'm coming home." And yeah. it turns out it was just Where an was iPhone it? note. How what a, what a missed opportunity for the Players Tribune to not get that that scoop from John Tavares. Yeah, sitting there, you know, for an hour, being like John. What if here you said, "Don't get me wrong, I love being an Islander, but what did that? What about that turn of phrase, John? Mm. Pretty good, right? What about don't get me wrong? Lou Lamarillo is a good guy, <laughs> but, but <laughs> don't get me wrong. My coach, my future coach, could have just won a Stanley Cup. Right. But before we get to the, the, the signings, we should probably. Oh, oh, Logan Couture, by the way, also re-ups eight years, sixty-four million dollars. Uh, he he avoids the Sharks, way. the Sharks now have to figure out what they're going to do with Pavelski because they lost in the Tavares uh, Derby. Let's talk about the other teams real quick in the Tavares Derby. So you had the Sharkies we just addressed. They still have a bunch of cap space. Uh, they're going to probably make some sort of move to continue on their path towards uh, uh, challenging for a cup this season. Their window is wide open. You had the Dallas Stars, who were never really in it, in my opinion. I, mean, I don't I think, think this changes anything for them. Yeah, I think I think Tavares just wanted to hear about exactly how much he could make without any income tax in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to f- worry about uh, uh, taking Tyler Sagan off the board, though, for for uh, free agency. And I'd expect that to come mm-hmm. soon. Hopefully. He likes it there. He does like it there. So I think he's put a lot of stuff there. He's got some stuff in Toronto, <laughs> but there's not enough room to keep his stuff in Toronto because there's just too many people who need to get paid there. You're going to have to define stuff. Uh, then you have the Tampa Bay Lightning, who we mentioned. I think the Lightning obviously have a window that is wide open to win next season. Uh, they could have added Tavares. It would have required them to make a few other trades. Now I think they, the fallback position is hopefully uh, maybe adding a, a significant piece to the team uh, and then keeping Tyler Johnson around because they were probably going to have to move him if Tavares came in. So you got the Dallas, you got your San Jose, you got your Tampa Bay, uh, you had your Boston Bruins. Now the Bruins, you know, again, same situation with Tavares. If he decides to go there, they're pro- they're going to have to ship out Krejci and Bacchus most likely to make room for that contract. They keep them both. They're clearly one of the better contenders in the Eastern Conference, but now you, you wonder exactly what they're going to do money-wise to address that second-line left-wing situation with Rick, Rick Nash not coming back. Uh, and then you, you got the uh, you know, the Islanders there, the sweet, beautiful Islanders. Thomas Hickey's back. Yeah, I remember being a, you know, a Devils fan back in 2005, 2006. Scott Niedermeyer left the Devils, one of... A collection of players to leave Lou Lamarillo teams for greener pastures. Uh, Niedermeyer left and, uh, Lou's reaction was, Era, I will sign Dan McGillis and an <laughs> aged Vladimir Malakoff to replace him. This is very reminiscent of signing Leo Komarov and Vitaly Fupilov to try to scramble around and fill out the roster because John Tavares just ripped your heart out. It almost felt like there wasn't a contingency plan. That no. They were so confident that they were getting John Tavares back. Uh, that they didn't have a contingency plan. And I will say this. They were left in the dark until July 1st morning. Yeah. So there really well, wasn't much time to Stan, negotiate with other free agents. Stan Fischler was really pissed about that yesterday. Yes, he was. He <laughs> Stan, was Stan Fischler, if you don't know, got, got on the conference call with Tavares yesterday and basically he's, he's like, now you uh, you left the Islanders twisted in the wind. Why didn't you tell them at the trade deadline that you were going to leave? And Tavares like, is like, I didn't know. Yeah, like I, this is a decision I made now. 
What are your thoughts on Islanders fans burning their Tavares jerseys, by the way? I've never really had a take on jersey burnings. I really haven't. Um, I know my experience at Sports Illustrated when Lee Jenkins um, did the story with LeBron James and mm-hmm. he was going to come home right. um, and go to Cleveland. My special assignment then, I was a reporter. They told me, I knew before, I think I knew before Chris Bosch knew. Uh, <laughs> and they're like, you need to book a plane to Cleveland. Um, but you have to be super secretive about it. Anyway, so I was in Cleveland because they wanted me to be on scene whenever it announced it. And the thing that struck me the most was how many people were out and about town in LeBron James jerseys. Yeah. And I was like, but based off of my social media feed, these are all ash. Like, where did everybody go? Like, how did exactly. they ship it from China so quickly? There was a moment yesterday morning where I was really hoping that Tavares was going to stay just to see what would happen to all the Islanders fans that were like throwing their jerseys in their target fire pits mm-hmm. uh, outside of their homes in Syosset and being like, you know what, Johnny T, this is what I think of you now. And like, I just wanted to be like, yeah, I'm coming back for eight years. They're like, <laughs> they're stamping out the fire on their jerseys as it burns. Um, I, listen, I, I I sympathize with Islander fans. I don't blame them for being pissed off. Mostly because, you know, there was no indication from Tavares at any point that he wasn't going to come back. It was always very much, I bleed orange and blue. It was always very much like, I want to win with this organization and yada, yada, yada. And I kind of feel for them. I, I, I would have drunk, I would have slurped up that Kool-Aid too if, uh, if Tavares had been selling that line for me for, for months and months and months. And the team, you know, clearly kind of, like you said, they didn't have a plan B. They cl- they clearly felt the same way. So it's kind of hard, kind of hard to deal with that if you're an honor fan. My sympathies. It definitely is. And look, you won the draft. You've got great prospects. There's that incredible goal scored. Well, yeah, Wall- prospect development Wallstrom's great. I mean, you know, Bar- it's now Barzell's team. It's not as if they don't have a good collection of young players. But, I mean, the, the good collection, that was the big sort of, I, I thought, misapplication of hope yesterday for on the Islanders. Like all these stations were just like, you know, don't worry. You know, she, yeah, she, she's dating, she's dating the CEO of a company now, but she, you know, she maybe you could do so much better. You could do so much better. And it's like, yeah, that's great. They can, but all those young players are great, but they all existed to augment John Tavares as mm-hmm. the center of their universe. And so the idea that like, Hey, they've got a next wave coming. It's like, yeah, but the, it's like, you know, hey, look at all these planets. Ah, oh, shoot, we forgot the sun. Right. <laughs> and by the way, our ship to get to go see all those planets, and oh, my, this analogy is going to fail a little bit. Yeah, we're but, not uh, exactly uh, astronomers here. We didn't really have a contingency no. plan for the end we, of this uh, yeah, we, segment. We pitched, We pretty much uh, ended up with a trade, you know, signing Valtteri Fupola and Leo Komarov on this mm-hmm. segment. And you know what? Good on Leo for getting paid. Uncle Leo. All right. We'll talk about all the other signings and trades after we talk to Chris Johnston about all of this Tavera stuff with regard to Toronto, planning parades, and the future of Austin Matthews. Here is our extra attacker this week, Chris Johnston. He did such a good job on television yesterday, and now he joins us on this podcast to talk about an incredible transaction involving the New York Islanders and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Chris your thoughts on Leo Komarov for four years at $3 million a season to the Islanders? Well, Leo, uh, I never thought he'd get a four-year deal. I'm not sure if he did either. So uh, big day for Leo and his family, and obviously the trade's a little lopsided with John Tavares coming the other way. Oh, oh I did not hear about Tell me more about John Tavares <laughs> going to the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> this is the first I'm hearing. Listen, it's got to be insane up there. I mean, for all the plan, the parade talk, and all the jokes we usually make about the Leafs, I have to imagine there's going to be some welcome home parade for John Tavares at this point. Yeah, it was 
it was a unique day, you know, after doing all my work and all that, uh, went out to dinner with my wife and then we were sitting on a patio and, and literally everybody around us was talking about John Tavares. I mean, basically any stereotype you could have of Canada or Toronto <laughs> and hockey uh, was was realized on a day like that. Because was everyone just had, saying, sorry, sorry, sorry? <laughs> no, that's, you, that's just you, Emily. That's your stereotype <laughs> of us. But uh, <laughs> once, once you get sorry, on Islanders. beyond the excessive apologizing... Even on a hot day of literally 100-degree heat uh, in Toronto yesterday, all everyone wants to talk about was hockey. And, you know, obviously, John's, you know, homecoming is, uh, you know, it's probably one of the best days in the Leafs franchise history in the last 50 years. I don't think there's too many that are clearly above it. And, um, you know, it's it's pretty surreal, I think, probably for fans of the team today. Now, we were skeptics. Like, we, we put together the following equation – Local boy going home to play in Toronto, a guy who, according to every proxy that we know of his, is not a dude who loves being in a high-intensity media situation, and a free agent signing with a Mike Babcock team. We put those together in an equation, put the equal sign, and spit out, John Tavares will not go to Toronto. Were you equally as skeptical of this happening, or did you think there was a legit shot? Uh, Well, I was a little bit more, I guess positive than you guys, but, but, you know, I I just thought because hockey players always stay where they are, you know, tend to take the path of least resistance. The fact that, you know, the the Islanders could offer them uh, more term and as it turns out more money uh, that, that, you know, is it going to be easier for him to stay and that he would. I mean, we just have too much history uh, of, of star players doing that. I mean, even while this happened yesterday, we have, you know, that Drew Doughty contract being finalized a year out, all Reckman Larson contract a year out, Logan Couture a year out. I mean, the kind of players uh, who could maybe be doing this a year from now are, are already not even, you know, going to entertain what might be 365 days out. So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of, as the process was going along, figured it was the Islanders. But once we got into the last week and he got into those meetings with teams, you know, that's when I knew that, that it was really on. And, and, you know, part of what informed me of that is I remember when Daniel Alfredson finally left the Senators at a time, no one thought he would. I mean, he'd, he'd been there his whole career. He'd been through all the nonsense and been there for some good times. And, and, you know, he said that once he started speaking to other teams, that was when it was almost like, you know, he never believed you would do it. And then you're on the phone with, you know, another team, another GM, imagining yourself in another situation. I think, you know, when when John got there, I mean, it's pretty clear in talking to him, you know, he, he got some emotions. It stirred something in him and, and, you know, it pushed him to Toronto. So, you know, had the Islanders been able to sign him earlier, I wouldn't have been surprised. But, you know, once we got down to these last few days, I thought it became a lot more possible. So, CJ, you're so plugged into the Leafs and you know Kyle Dubas. It really seems like one of the things that did sell Tavares was Dubas's pitch and how eloquent he was in, in illustrating what he saw for the future. Can you just give us any insight into what he might have said to Tavares, what he might have, you know, what vision he shared? Well, it's interesting because, you know, they started doing this about uh, six weeks out. You know, late May, uh, the Leafs actually had the ice put back into the arena, now called Scotiabank Arena, but at that time, Air Canada Center. Uh, and they had Mitch Marner come down and, and uh, do his thing on the ice. And, you know, I haven't seen the video, but... You know, a lot of that video that they prepared was about, you know, that, that they anticipated John Tavares would play with Mitch Marner. Um, you know, they, they, they build out models of what they think their team is going to look like, not just this season, but, but how the salary cap will affect their, their likely moves over the next several seasons. And, you know, I just got the sense from speaking to those in the room that, 
that they were extremely prepared. And that's not to say that they were better prepared than the other teams because, you know, I have to be truthful in saying I don't know all of what else was, was put in front of John Tavares. But, you know, I, I think that that really got him thinking about the Leafs is just, just how good Kyle was. And, and, you know, those two guys didn't know each other beforehand. You know, Kyle Dubas is only five years older than John Tavares. And, you know, I think in the wider hockey world, there's still some skepticism maybe about having someone that young run the team, just not knowing what he's all about outside of the way the media has portrayed him. And, and, you know, what I heard is that he, he blew the, the doors off him and just, just how prepared he was. Um, you know, I think that they, they stayed away from some of the cheese ball stuff, <laughs> uh, which may have, which may have hurt them years ago with Steven Stamkos uh, when he got to a similar spot. And obviously the Leafs were in a totally different place at that time as well. But, you know, I don't think they played too heavy up the, the idea of the, the, you know, the local boy returning home to make good, you know, I think that they alluded to it a little bit, but it, their presentation seemed like it was far more just focused on the facts and on the hockey side of things. Uh, they didn't play up the fact that he can make a lot of money away from the rink. You know, they, they believe that the agents can do that if, if that's something that interests John. Uh, they really just uh, came in and talked about why they think the Leafs are going to win a Stanley Cup in the next seven years, the term of his contract. And you know what what was said in those meetings i think ultimately paved the way for for this signing to happen yeah i mean they probably already knew they won his heart they already had his hearts and minds they probably saw a dumb picture of him in leafs pajamas and under leaf sheets with a a phantom menace starfighter above his head which i thought was a really interesting touch in that kid's picture he tweeted out um i failed you because i didn't ask about no, that no <laughs> It wasn't. There's just too many other people asking dumb questions yesterday, and I couldn't. I couldn't be the next you'll be, one. You'll be happy to know that Master Jedi Bob McKenzie somehow had the information that that was a uh, Phantom Menace Star Wars alarm clock that he kept above his bed. It was like a second alarm clock to make sure that he woke up at a certain time. So I can't confirm that Tavares is in fact a childhood Star Wars nerd. It may just be that that was the functional alarm clock that he was necessary to make sure he could make his ice time. Um, I wanted to ask, so like, well, first of all, kudos to Dubas because now he probably has all of the information and planning for five other teams at his disposal, courtesy of John Tavares' brain from those pitch meetings. But the thing I wanted to ask you was... Two of them in the division, too. Yeah, I know, right? Exactly. They spelled it out pretty clear. The thing I wanted to ask you was is twofold. First of all, how do they go about addressing what everybody assumes is going to be the Achilles heel of this team, which is the defensive side of the team uh, on the blue line in particular. The other thing I wanted to ask you is when, when do we get to the point of the John Tavares, Austin Matthews combustible situation? All of the cynics have now turned our attention and I'll include myself as part of this to the idea that these guys will not be able to coexist. If in fact, this team doesn't win within the next like three or four years. Well, I'll take the first one first. Um, (laughs) Well, just because the, the Austin John thing, I don't know. I mean, it, it's that's the other side of this that that I find funny is is literally within two hours of the signing, you know, in a social situation, I'm around, you know, people I work with, and they're saying, "Well, this will never work, and this is going <laughs> to fall apart." And like, it's like, God, you can't just be happy for one day. I mean, yes, maybe he's not going to be a star the whole time or, or well, what have you, but yeah, hold, you know, well, let me let me pause there for a second. Like, kid comes in, franchise savior. Face of the team, all of a sudden you got people putting over Marner as being the face of the team. Now all of a sudden you have a guy from a completely different organization coming in to be the face of the team. If I'm Austin Matthews, I'm like, what's going on here? And potentially the captain. I mean, I think that that... They dangled in front of him but never gave him. That's right. That to me seems like it's going to go to Tavares. I mean, 
even yesterday, there was a funny moment after, you know, as the scrum was winding down and one of the local camera people asked if, if John Tavares would put on the jersey he had there and, and they stepped in and said, no, 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 that's for another day. So he didn't actually put on a Leafs jersey yesterday for reasons <laughs> I'm not sure about. But yeah. like, I, I'm guessing the reason is, is that the first time he puts one of those on in public, it's going to be with a Captain C on it. Uh, just, just a hunch on, you know, media background stuff more than actual reporting on that one. Um, you know, I, I think that Austin, he, he really does just want to win. That's that's my view on him. I, I don't see this being that big of issue. You know, I would bet that his contract starts with an 11, you know, when they extend him. I think that there's, you know, pretty clearly, maybe right away, but certainly pretty soon, Austin will be the number one center and John Tavares will be the number two center on the team, just with, you know, where they're at in their careers. And, you know, I, I think honestly that, that, this makes life easier for him. It's not all on his shoulders. You know, even if he doesn't get to see, I think it, it maybe shields him a little bit from from having to, to be in the eye of the storm. And, and um, you know, I, I don't see this being such an issue. I mean, look, Austin actually just left the agency that, that John Tavares is represented by, right. but you know, they've known a lot of people in common during their time together. And, and Austin, behind the scenes, was a huge part of the Leafs pitch. He's, he's been talking to, to John Tavares and letting him know that, he wants him there. So, you know, I guess we might reach some point where there's, um, you know, a bit of tension, but, you know, I think it's probably more likely going to play out like Crosby and Malkin in Pittsburgh. Not that they're going to win three cups necessarily, but that, that those guys will find a way to, to, to make sure that there's enough money and love and nice time and all, all that to go around for the greater good. And how do they fix the D? They're going to be, they're going to be way less aggressive than everybody thinks they are. You know, I don't think there's, there's literally a sub-zero chance they trade William Nylander. I mean, it's one of these things that it's driving me bananas because every time I turn on talk radio in Toronto or, or if I go on a station, you know, the the, the, the jocks always like, wow, they got to trade Nylander now, right? There's no way this works. I mean, the way that they, they're going to win is by having more at, at their forward positions than any other team around them. And, you know, they believe that, that they have the guys internally – uh, that, that can step into those positions over time. And, and I think that, that Kyle's going to be patient. I mean, certainly he'll look to upgrade, but I don't see a version of the hole for Larson trade in the in the air for the Leafs. I, I think that they think with a lot more complexity than, hey, we have too much of this and not enough of that. Let's just move it around. I think that they're thinking we have too much of this for other teams to handle, so let's just keep you know, doing what we can there. I mean, if if you look at their depth chart, and it doesn't always work this way, I mean, they're going to have four really good lines. I mean, they're not going to be carrying around any liabilities on their four group. Obviously, the defensively, uh, I still think they're challenged. But there, there's some guys with the Marlies, Timothy Lilligren, who they drafted in the first round last year. You know, he's probably not in the picture for next season. But if if you're talking about the seven-year window they were selling John Tavares on, you know, they they, they picked another first year, uh, another first round uh, defenseman. This year, and so honestly, I think most of the solution is going to come from internal, uh, you know, things and, and mm-hmm. just trying to, to patch holes. And, and you know, if you look at the way Pittsburgh won the Cup in 2017, even Washington to a lesser degree in 2018, you know, it's it's not. Uh, I think the, the the views on what a defense core has to be are shifting, and and uh, I would expect the Leafs are going to be. It will be much to the chagrin of the, you know huge portions of the fan base, but I think they're going to be pretty patient with the with the blue line. Chris, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is just because you're so detail-oriented and you can explain nuance very well. But uh, I need to put on my, like, talk radio hat for a second. <laughs> like, 
the expectations right now in Toronto? Is this the team to beat in the East? Where do where do you see them? Where do they rank? Is it still the Lightning? Uh, how soon can they win? Oh man, maybe <laughs> they can win next year. I mean, ah. it's such a it's such a crapshoot in this league. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to win next year that they should win next year, but they could. I mean, there's no there's nothing that suggests it can't happen to me as we sit here in July and you know comfortably away from when these predictions are, are going to be used against me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the, clearly the Lightning I, I would still have to be the team to beat to me in the East. That they have more of everything. Uh, certainly a, a better blue line and, and still have a lot of really good you know dynamic offensive players. Uh, they have a, a you know an, an all star goaltender. A goaltender is a finalist for the Vesna this year. Um, so I, I think the Lightning are the team to beat still in the East, but uh, it's it's going to be fun if those teams <clears throat> meet in the playoff series. I think it's just it's dripping with storylines between the, the Stamkos dynamic and and uh, you know and the Leafs sort of being a, a you know the team that's that's coming to try to to to, to beat Tampa to that cup mm-hmm. that you know sort of felt like it's going to is almost like a Lightning birthright. I, I felt like for the last couple of years, and then. You know, now you start to wonder if, if they'll see their window close and not be able to keep all their players. So, you know, I, I still have Tampa ahead of them in, in the East. Maybe Washington just for, you know, just because they just won. But, you know, I don't know if they're still partying or what kind of summer they're going to have <laughs> or, or, or where the where the minds and hearts will be at when they, you know, and, get to actually back to the season of, next year. But Yeah. And, of course, we can't forget but, about the, the most important part of the Leafs' uh, lightning rivalry, which is the lightning stole their jersey design from Toronto. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that is. I thought you were going to say something to do with the mascot. No, 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 no. Hey, so thirty seconds left. Your your truncated, quick answer to this pressing question: What's your best guest on Eric Carlson? Ooh, well, certainly my best guess is he's out of town pretty quickly in Ottawa. Right, and I still think it's going to be Vegas. It's just that the fit's the best there. Uh, they've talked for a long time about contract on Eric Story trade going back to the deadline. And, you know, I, I think he makes the most sense for them and then they'll pony up uh, the most to make that deal. Yeah. And, and again, if, if it's hitching Bobby Ryan to that wagon, as it seems it's going to be, someone's going to have to pick up that salary and that, that cap hit. And Vegas is one of the few teams with the room. I still would love to see him. Uh, now, now I'm full on like lightning uh, Toronto, the great war and like put him on the lightning for a season, Carlson. I just don't think they're going to be able to make it work if the Senators are looking to unload that contract of Bobby Ryan as well. Yeah, it seems like too much. And, and you know, I think Vegas has some you know some possibilities for a guy with that hair and that kind of <laughs> swagger he has. And, and uh, you know, it's it, it's going to be an ugly trade, though. I mean, I, I feel bad. My, my brother-in-law is a Senator season ticket holder. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I live relatively close to Ottawa and have spent a lot of time there. And, and it's so bad. It's, like, yeah. it's so bad. And <laughs> they're they're going to run yet another franchise player out the door, and, and, and I don't think Carlson's to blame in this in any way. No. So um, it's it's too bad for people there, and you know I I welcome their move to Quebec City down the road. Indeed, and also I think we can say for some with some certainty that uh, Matt Duchesne really knows how to pick them. Uh, would be the other lesson here as far as not wanting to be part of a rebuild. Uh, well, Matthew Shane will be having his decision next July 1st because I can't see him extending oh, at this point right? either. So. Not at all. All right, Chris. You're the best. Have a great summer. You did such great work all year on Sportsnet. And uh, and, and uh, we, we, we love you. Mm-hmm. And we thank you for joining us on what must be a delirious day in Toronto. The day after. They will now mark time by... 
what happened before John Tavares arrived, and what happened after. Yes, it's a new era, and uh, we'll see you in Chicago soon. Can't wait. Take care, CJ. Chris Johnson of Sportsnet here on ESPN and Ice, one of our favorites. You'll see him at a cabin near you with a stately trimmed beard, I imagine. Mm, I think it's going to grow pretty unruly. Oh, I thought maybe he'd just take it off, too. It is the summer in Toronto. Oh, it's like a Velcro thing. Is that, like that. I mean, like, take, I mean, remove it with a, with, a, with, a, with an instrument in which a man would remove facial hair. Not that, that Chris wears a fake beard on television to look more stately. Do we have to call him back right now and clear things <laughs> up? All right, coming up after the break, more free agent and trade stuff that went down around about July 1st. You're listening to ESPN on Ice. All right, we're back on ESPN on Ice. Now that we've dispensed with the John Tavares talk, I suppose it's probably time to talk about a few other things that happened during and around free agent frenzy. Let's start with uh, Vegas and Paul Stasny. Three years, $19.5 million, 6.5 against the cap. The Winnipeg Jets cleared out some salary space, felt they made a competitive offer, but did not end up with the services of one Paul Stasny. Yeah, I think this is where the Vegas Golden Knights are going to frustrate a lot of teams, especially um, as they navigate the first few years in the franchise when they have this advantage of cap space. And you have a team like the Jets, and they're like, look, Stasny, we can show you exactly where you fit in. We can show you what our organization looks like because you're with us for a couple months, and you can see how close we are to contending, and we can give you the term that you want. They just couldn't give them the money that they he wanted. Right. He found that money in Vegas where, of course, there's a little bit more of a favorable tax situation. I'm not quite too familiar with Manitoba taxes, but <laughs> I'm assuming Nevada is a little better. Um, and he sees a team that's having so much fun that knocked him out of the playoffs last year yeah. that the guys seem to love playing for that organization in the <laughs> process that they have going. And he knows that there could be a player like Eric Carlson on the way because there's still cap space to go around. So I love the move. It makes them better. Of course, they did lose James Neal. Yeah. Um, David Perron, I don't see it as, as big of a loss, but James Neal is because he did carry a lot of goal scoring for them. That said, uh, Stasny behind William Carlson to buttress uh, that second center line spot. I mean, that's a huge upgrade over Hollow. Yeah, I mean, one assumes that Alex Tuck maybe gets the bump to that second line out of play with Stasny, which could be a nice little combination he there. He playing up there at points during the playoffs. Yep. Uh, James Neal goes to the Flames, like you mentioned, five years, uh, $7.5 million per season deal. 7.5? I'm sorry, 5.75. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, and that's that's a good move for for Calgary, I mean, to, to bolster their scoring beyond the top line, which is unimpeachable. Uh, you know, five years and, and, and that was the sort of the going rate. He got five over five offer from the Knights earlier this season. Was that confirmed though? I don't I'm unsure. That, that was, was definitely media reports. Okay. I'm skeptical on the details on that. I'll just put it that way. Uh George McPhee, by the way, said that they offered every free agent a contract. So Lucas yeah. Spees's camp saying that they didn't get anything from the uh, the Knights, uh, he says that's a mistake. Ryan Reeves also signs a two-year, $2.775 million cap hit deal with the Vegas Golden Knights that had everybody going, what? That's way too much money, until the Vancouver Canucks signed Antoine Roussel and Jay Beagle for four-year contracts with a $3 million a year cap hit. And everybody's like, oh, that Ryan Reeves deal, that's a bargain now. <laughs> Can we talk about the Canucks for a second? Because what are they... Like, here's my thing with them. Mm-hmm. You got to commit to the rebuild. And I get it. It's like, we have to stay slightly competitive. We need to have some veterans in the locker room to show these young guys the way. Mm-hmm. But committing that much money to those two players 
I, I I just can't justify it. Well, it's like I said in our winners and losers thing last night on ESPN. Like, I think the big surprise from what the what Vancouver said about signing those guys wasn't the years and wasn't the money. It was the admission that there was a market for both of them. Yeah, and that like you know we, oh we have to come in strong with our offers for Jay Beagle. I'm just like come on man, <laughs> like it's not. I do think that there was a market for Jay Beagle. Sure, though. but like if you're an you're, if you're bidding on Jay Beagle. Don't bid. Turn the turn the key. Do what the Capitals are going to do, which is to turn the keys over for the fourth line spot to a younger player. Mm-hmm. Find out what you got there. Speaking of the Capitals, they were one of my big winners of free agency. Uh, I just find in this cap era, especially when we look at teams like the Blackhawks and Penguins, it's so rare for you to return essentially the same exact team after winning. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they did. They got John Carlson really to take a discount at 8-8 eight and eight because – when we see some of these contracts, like, yeah. whoa, he would have commanded. Yeah. Uh, they fended off Devontae Smith-Pelly and Michael Kepney to other suitors because they said, look, you know, you had so much fun with us in the playoffs, really. Mm-hmm. Don't you want to be back? And Smith-Pelly especially, I heard negotiations were not going well between his camp and the Capitals. And he just like, no, nah, I just want, this is where I feel comfortable. Right. Um, yeah. And, and they won it. And, and they didn't do anything rash except for, you know, ditch their coach. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I thought the Carlson move was like we talked about that earlier. I think the Carlson move was was essential for them. Uh, they're going to spend too much time looking for another John Carlson over the next couple of years. And the window to win is still over the next couple of years. And I know eight years is a long time and and people don't consider him to be an elite defenseman, but they just want a cup with him. So I think that that is all the evidence that you need. I think he's elite. Doesn't that matter? I, I his mom I, thinks he's elite. Uh, his mom. <laughs> Capitals fans think he's elite. Do they, though? Uh, uh, Kepney getting back in was also a huge deal, too. I mean, to be able to have a guy who who played so well with Carlson back in the fold – Everything's coming up Capitals this offseason, obviously, and including the way that... The, and they haven't even had their days with the Cup. Right, including the way the Russian uh, World Cup team played in the presence of Ovi. Oh, my God. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned David Perron. Perron goes back to the St. Louis Blues 4 over 4. Uh, that's a, an interesting cap hit for a guy that I thought was going to get paid a lot more based on what he did statistically last year. But he's like a 40-point guy. And I think that's probably around where you want to be. And I'm okay with the contract and the money because he's a known quantity. We had a lot of known quantities yesterday. You, you were detailing that yesterday as well. Yeah. Well, firstly, I have to say this favorite fact that I've learned about David Prawn. I can't get over this. I've been, right. I, you couldn't, you felt, you were up, you told me you woke up a couple of night times a night. I'm sure you were thinking about it too. <laughs> David Prawn has played for five different teams in his career. Only one team has offered him a contract. Yeah. Or signed him to a contract, contract, rather. Yeah. And that's the St. Louis Blues. This is his fifth with the organization. It's, it is a remarkable feat. It's, it's an absolutely incredible stat. Um, but wait, what you were, you were alluding to, and yes, uh, um, you know, we talked about the nostalgia with John Tavares, but we kind of saw it with other teams too. I mean, James Van Riemsdyk, who was probably the sexiest name on the forwards list besides John Tavares, mm-hmm. uh, decides to go with the organization that he started with, the Flyers. I, I think he loved his time there. He loves, I think Ron Hextel, by the way, is a wizard. I really do. I mean, he's never offered a no movement clause, yeah. no trade clause to any of his players. Yeah, he somehow has the best prospect system and doesn't rush any of these guys up. And I, I think these guys are going to win for a while. So he, I love that move. Five years, thirty-five million, so seven million dollar cap hit. It's going to be interesting to see what they end up doing with Wayne Simmons, if anything. Um, I think they're going to offer him to an extension. I, I would hope so because I think he's an important part of that team. But he, he, I mean, there's a possibility also that he could be a redundancy now. But that was a move that. Uh, I, one of my favorite moves of the day, obviously, with the, with the Flyers making that deal, but a move that none of us really saw coming, him going home like that. But he does fit uh, a need almost perfectly for that team. 
Um, so impressive uh, signing there. Uh, Thomas Fanick goes back to Detroit one year, three million to eventually get traded, even though he has a no trade clause now, which is hilarious. Trade clause can get always get waived. Mike Green goes two years, uh, five point three seven five million per season back to Detroit. Do you Good. know how many thoughts I have on that move? How many? Zero. I like it for Greeny because I, I feel like, first of all, my heart goes out to him as being one of these guys that was on the outside looking in, his face pressed up against the window as he's watching the Capitals drink from the cup. Yeah, like that. He was part of that of, of the young guns generation that was supposed to be doing that with mm-hmm. them. Uh, but now he's older, he's a father, He's he, he found himself in Detroit, and I was happy to see him remain there versus going someplace else. Back on the Perron thing, so he goes four over four with, with St. Louis. They sign Tyler Bozak, five million a season for three years, which is, I, I, I don't, I don't like it, but I looked, I looked at his stats. You realize in the last three years combined, statistically, he has the same uh, points per game average in the same number of games as Tyler Johnson, and how much does what? Tyler Johnson make per year? About Five same. million. Can we also just the one last thing I wanted? To, I made a point about Perron, and I forgot to say it earlier. He's the first example of a golden misfit going back to the team that exposed him. Yeah, and I think we all kind of assume maybe this would happen. Of look, they didn't really want to get rid of these guys. Right. When we see your ex girlfriend then date a super hot guy, <laughs> and you're like, I need her back. Uh, David Perron was dating a super hot guy uh, in the Vegas Golden Knights, and they're like, wow, she looks good. Um, and, you know, like you see Predators fans being like, can't we get Neil back? And it's yeah. like, that's just not the way it works. That's not the way it works. Although I thought that would be a really good fit back there. Uh, the, 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 we got to talk about the Blues. The same, yeah, I was going to say that the, the Blues were sort of the epicenter of a lot of things. We should probably also mention Carter Hutton going to the – Buffalo Sabres, three years, $2.75 million per season. Oh it was a, a good market for backup goalies. Uh, Bernier got $3 million a year from the uh, Red Wings. Uh, you, Cam Ward in your neck of the woods, I thought one year, three, well, I think a $3 million term, $3 million one year from the Blackhawks, which is interesting for me because like they're already kind of spending a lot of money on their goaltending position. And I know that that is a move made because they are not confident in Corey Crawford's health necessarily. But that's a lot of dough to be spending in one position for a team that's kind of cap-strapped. It totally is. Uh, the When I, I look at the Blackhawks' moves, uh, look, they signed Chris Kunitz, who's essentially last year's Patrick Sharp, right? Right. Uh, they get Brandon Manning, who is another depth defenseman when they already have a defensive logjam that Joel Quinville is trying to navigate himself through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they signed Cam Ward as an insurance policy for Corey Crawford because, let's face it, it's July and Corey Crawford hasn't been on the ice yet. That's right. not encouraging. Right. Um. All I see here is that Stan Bowman is incredibly confident in his job security. <laughs> like these are like he's just like, look, last year I, I a I believe last year was a one off. I don't think we're that bad of a team. And B, I think I'm going to be here for a while because you didn't see him do anything drastic. Yeah. Um, back to the Blues and the Sabers, and let's just uh, hit this now. The big the big story that broke last night while we were at the bar. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly trade. So Ryan O'Reilly was a question mark all day. People were like, is this guy going to move before his $7.5 million bonus was going to kick in? And wait, that bonus kicks in 24 hours after we thought it did? Yeah, it's... no. Once again, reinforcing, Emily, that no one knows anything about contracts. Like, nope. Barry Trotz wins the cup, and then a month later, people were like, wait, there was an extension clause <laughs> in his contract? Um, Ryan O'Reilly goes from the Sabres to the Blues. The Blues send back to the Sabres Patrick Berglund, Vladimir Sabotka, Tage Thompson, a 2019 first, which is top 10 protected, but not lottery protected. Just a clarification there. And a 2021 second round pick. And guess what I like about this trade for the Blues? 
That would be everything. You loved it. You, for the record, did leave the bar, get your laptop, and typed away. Yeah. And the more you were talking through the trade, uh, I think your grade started for the Blues at like a B. Well, then it was a B plus, and what did it end up as? It ended up as an A minus, and uh, and and a B for the Sabers. So let me explain to you the concept of NHL trade initial shock, shock syndrome. NHL trade initial shock syndrome is when you first see the return. Five assets for Ryan O'Reilly. Who is this guy? Eric Lindros, circa <laughs> 1993. And we all get crazy about it. We're like, he's not worth that. But then you have to look at what they gave up. What did they actually give up here? They gave up a 30-year-old Patrick Berglund, good player, no doubt, $3.85 million a season. They've won, uh, let me check notes, nothing with him. Uh, Vladimir Saboka is a 30-year-old depth center. He signed for the next two years at $3.5 million. Obviously, a, an asset that you can give away. Not exactly essential. And with those two players, I should interject and say they've been trying to unload their contracts yeah, for some time. Right. The the top the, the first round pick is top ten protected and probably going to be in the bottom the bottom uh, uh, half bottom third of the draft anyway, based on the Blues' record. Um, the the second round picks whatever. Tage Thompson is the one you're worried about. If he becomes a player, that's understandable. You're a little bit worried about him becoming a player, but they didn't give up. Clem Costin. They didn't give up Robert Thomas, which is the guy they really didn't want to give up in the deal. Jason Botterill, the Sabres GM, was asking for. They didn't give up Vince Dunn or Jordan Cairo or any of their blue chip prospects in this deal. They didn't give them up, and they got Ryan O'Reilly back. So, from a you have to look in the context here from a Blues perspective. This was a great trade. They got an asset that they wanted, a player that I think is better than Paul Stasny. I think it's better than anything else they could have plucked from uh, unrestricted free agency, obviously, because they got Tyler Bozak, who was like the third best center of the of the, of the group. So now you go, you go, uh, the Braden Shen, Ryan O'Reilly, and, and Tyler Bozak up the gut for at least the next three years. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. And and, and, and and it's essential in the Western Conference to have that sort of depth, and and they at least have something approaching it now with this with this trio. Yeah, and when I look at you know the Central Division and the Metro Division were the two most competitive last year. And you look at the Central, and no other team really upgraded uh, their team the way the Blues did. The right. Wild essentially did nothing. They did small tweaks. The Winnipeg Jets couldn't get Stasny. They obviously have a great roster. They just have to pay all those RFAs. The Blackhawks, I mentioned, they're just confident in themselves. Um, you've got the Avalanche, who they made some moves. Uh, I, I like the signing of Ian Cole. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was necessary. I, I think they wanted to get an audience with Tavares, and they didn't. And they're like, all right, well, let's just commit to the youngsters. Mm-hmm. But And the Dallas Stars did nothing. So all around, oh, they saw, the they, Blues are the best. The Stars signed Kadobin, who I think is a nice complimentary. Yeah, I like that move a lot for the money. And then they mm-hmm. signed Roman Polak, which is a, a one-year, $1.3 million lark. Uh, they did, you know, whatever. But yeah, the, the the biggest problem right now for the the Blues is is the division they play in. A couple other things here and there, uh, like the uh, Yaroslav Halak move two years, two point seven five million a season to the uh, uh, to the uh, Bruins rather as a backup there. I like that. Don't like Derek Ryan three years, three point one two five million dollars to the Calgary Flames. I feel like that's an overpayment. Um, you know, it it was a it was a busy fun day. There was a lot going on, and and I and I think overall teams did pretty well. the The one trend I think that we saw in all these moves, for the most part, was uh, lack of term. You know, a lot of five year deals, a lot of three year deals. Nobody going too crazy with stuff. Maybe in anticipation of of labor strife coming up uh, in the near future. One move we do have to talk about before we get to the rant line, and that would be the. 
move that we all knew was coming. Jack Johnson, hmm. five years, love it, three point two five million dollars per season to the Pittsburgh Penguins. There's two approaches we need to take to this this news, Emily. The first is that it's a smart move for the Penguins because they have a defenseman whisperer in Sergei Gonchar who has turned around the seasons and the careers of Justin Schultz and Ian Cole and Jamie Alexiak. They've they they, they have a guy who in We'll take the raw material that is Jack Johnson and make him into a decent player again, in, in my eyes. The second thing we have to say is that it started an escalation of the war between two franchises, the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Pittsburgh Penguins. John Tortorella going absolutely insane uh, to the athletic yesterday because he felt like uh, Jack Johnson slighted the Columbus Blue Jackets by saying, I've been looking to be in a winning culture. And Tortorella said... All I know is this organization, from the lawyers, the front office, John Davidson, the managers, the coaches, the players, has done nothing but try to help Jack. And for him to backhand slap us like this is under B- utter BS, and he should know better. No one wishes anything bad to happen to him and his family. We wish him the best. But for him to put it that way today is total BS. And to have a general manager question our decision-making from three hours away, he must be an effing magician. That was also Jim Rutherford, by the way, saying that uh, there was a reason why Jack Johnson was a healthy scratch at the end of the season, and it wasn't necessarily because of how he was playing. Jarmo Kekalainen came back and said that it pissed him off that uh, that uh, uh, Rutherford said that. So just a war of words between the Penguins and the Blue Jackets over the Jack Johnson situation. I love it. I love it. I love that's the way that we're going through the summer. I feel like John Tortorella was uncharacteristically out of the spotlight this season and we <laughs> yeah. needed his headlines back on ESPN.com. He was very much triggered. That is that is the truth. Um, by the way, it's it's demonstrably true that the Penguins have a winning culture and the Blue Jackets don't. Yeah. And I, I feel bad for Jack Johnson, who literally that was just uh, it was a true statement. And then all of a sudden he had to backtrack it. He had to apparently call Columbus ownership and apologize or management. Yeah. And it's like it's like it's like signing guy signs in New York. He's like so had so happy to be in the city. And then the other place is like, well, we're a city. I was like, come on. I'm so sorry, New Jersey Devils. You're correct. Newark is a city. <laughs> all right. Let's get to the rant line for this week. We had a lot of Islanders fans call up to express themselves. We appreciate you. We feel for you. In a very colorful way. Let's take a listen, shall we? Hi, Emily and Greg. This is Janine from Long Island. So you can guess what my rant is about today. Hey, Greg and Emily. Brad Hammond from the heart of Long Island. Islanders Nation is absolutely crushed and devastated by the actions of Johnson. Super upset on Sunday. I'm completely pissed. Beta trying to fight the whole of Canada over this whole thing. Playing the beautiful face of the franchise all season, thinking he wanted to come back, only to catch a case of homesickness at the 11th hour. You know, Tavares, I understand if you're a hometown boy, you, you got to go back to Toronto, great. I'm a hometown boy. I don't know this fan general let him cure for the rest of his career. I love this team. It's great you get to live out your dream, but give us a heads up. Also, media from other outlets who are kind of not giving the Islander fans space to grieve with this horrible betrayal that we're feeling. Here's to uh, Ross Johnston putting Tavares into the third row of the first Leafs game. All right. Thanks, everybody. Um, like we said, we feel we feel for you. We feel bad for the Islanders fans. It is obviously a situation where you felt betrayed. It is obviously a situation where you look at your franchise and say, what is next? The good news, again, young players, Lula Murillo, whatever. The bad news is that your franchise player basically says, I don't believe in your franchise. That's essentially what he said. Because yeah. like we said at the beginning of the show, the childhood pajamas thing only takes you so far. There's a reason other players did not go back home to Ontario. 
And the reason usually is because the Leafs are terrible. But now the Leafs are, to quote Jeffler, actually good. Yeah. And so he chose them over the Islanders because not only was it nostalgia, not only was it childhood bed, it was also the chance to win a cup, which he felt was exponentially greater there than it was on Long Island. And maybe, you know, all of the friends that he lost along the way, the Kyle Ocposos, the Franz Nielsen's, all the talent that the Islanders shed because of, you know, cheap ownership or bad general managing or whatever, uh, you know, came back to haunt them. I hear you. And look, yeah, that's all I got, man. No, what, what is your, your words of inspiration to Islanders fans? My word of inspiration is that this is the NHL and you could be a bottom dweller one year and, and make the playoffs the next. I mean, look no further than the Colorado Avalanche. You just need a couple, uh, guys to hit fire at the right time. The New Jersey Devils, another one. So, um, there's hope. And look, you got Lou Lamarillo with all of his rings that he will flash for you, mm. uh, leading the way. But yep. I think this is a, a good time just to thank our listeners. This is going to be our last episode, regular episode of the summer. We're going to take a be- brief, uh, sojourn as the NHL breaks. Yep. But, um, we will be back in fury soon. We'll be back, yeah, um, with a, a show uh, probably in like a couple weeks just to kind of recap what's happening Check in the in. summer. Thanks, everybody, for supporting the show as you have. Uh, it's grown exponentially. Um, if you want to drop a, a thanks for the season review on iTunes, we'd appreciate it. And we appreciate you. And uh, and supporting the show and letting people know about the show. We'll leave you with this. Um, it's not so much a message for you as it is a message for James Ram Reamsdyke. James Van Riemsdyk, I swear to God, if you say one more time that you grew up in the Philadelphia area, Emily and I are going to come and hunt you and just throw pork rolls and Taylor hams at you. You can call it by both names, but let it be known it will be that meat product because you are from Middletown, New Jersey, which is nowhere near Philadelphia. It is from central New Jersey, which I know people say doesn't exist, but I swear to God, you grew up closer to New York than you did Philadelphia. And we will not sit here and let you lie to the people of the city of brotherly love. You're from central New Jersey. I'm pretty sure there's a Krausers in Middletown. Yeah, there's is... a Krausers there. <laughs> there's probably a Wawa, but just because Wawa has expanded. That's... At, at, at no point did you ever hear Kevin Smith say, I'm from the Philadelphia area. You know why? Because Red Bank is right next to Middletown. And so is Highlands. So you are a central New Jersey boy. You grew up a Rangers fan. You have nothing to do with Philly when you were a kid. There is no picture of James Van Riemsdyk in Philadelphia pajamas under Philadelphia sheets with a, a, a fighter pilot from the prequels above his head because he wasn't from Philly. He's from central New Jersey. And that's where we'll leave it for the show for this year. Stop lying to the people of Philadelphia, James Van Riemsdyk. We'll have him on the show early next season to yeah, discuss. Yeah, and discuss this more in a more academic way. Thanks to Gabe, our producer. Thanks to everybody for listening to the show. And uh, we'll catch up with you later in the summer. Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.